we invite you to prepare your hearts and minds to receive from the teaching of God's Word. text comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had sat with them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Please join me as we pray the blessing over the message. Dear Lord, thank you once again for gathering us in this place. God, thank you for the unique collection of people that you brought to this church to hear a message from your word about the early church. God, I pray that we would place ourselves in this time and gain inspiration and insight to your working in our time as it is now. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, bless the lips of the preacher who's coming before. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's really good to see you guys. How many of you guys noticed that I was gone the last two Sundays? I noticed that? We uh, just re- returned on Thursday from the missions trip working with the International Christian Fellowship in Padua, Italy. Um, we had a wonderful time. Next, uh, next Sunday, uh, we'll share with you guys a little bit more about what went, what went on, but we just want to take this opportunity to thank you guys for praying for us. Uh, the prayers were felt. It's a, it's a crazy week. Uh, the five days of the VBS and the ministries as far as at the church and that, it's, it's kind of crazy, but, uh, but God was really gracious. And we had just, just a wonderful team, just a great team of people who uh, were uniquely gifted for what uh, God was calling us to do that week. So um, we'll give you a little bit more in- insight as it relates to that um, next, next week. Um, but we're today continuing our series, Unstoppable, studying the book of Acts. And we've been talking about the unstoppable church that God is creating. 
And within that church, we have individual people. Each one of us make up that church. And, and this morning, I want to draw your guys' attention. I want to draw your guys' mind uh, to this question. I want you guys to think for a moment. What are you known for? Like, what are you known for? Think for a moment about what, what people associate you with. As people describe you, as people talk about you, what is it that, they, that is on their lips about you? A lot of times it's, it's, it, is, it is our identity. It, it, is, it is an idea that we advocate or, or a concept that we believe in. It is something that, that you hold to, that you talk about, that you advocate, that you're identified with. Um, how many of you guys here know I'm Italian? Right? This is kind of a part of my identity. It's a part of who I am. It's something I talk about. I, if, if, if you've spent any time with me, I'll talk about I- Italy at nauseum, right? How many of you guys get sick of me talking about it? You know, and it's it's whether it's about whether it's about talking about what the, the best uh, the best espresso is there, the best art is there, the best landscape is there. Like Italy is better, just simply it's a fact, right? So when people talk about who I am or talk about me, that's one of the things that kind of leaps out. Each one of us has these things that people identify us with. Some people are, are known for what they believe in. Do any of you do any of you guys know someone who advocates the use of essential oils? Right? You can identify that person by the phrase, "Oh, I have an oil for that." Bullet wound? I have an oil for that. Sometimes it's political affiliation, sometimes it's it's your diet or exercise or the philosophy you ascribe to. But each of us gets known for something. It's something that that we are advocates of. It's something that we identify with. It's something we believe in. And as a result, it's something we talk about. We interact with one another. We say, I believe in this. You should think about this. You should be introduced to that. How many of you are known for your Christianity? Think about that for a moment. When people who know you first describe you, does the first thing they describe relate to your national identity or your heritage? Does it relate to your lifestyle or your advocacy? Does it relate to to your political affiliation? How pronounced is your Christian identity? How clear? Is that to the people around you? How, how much do they see that as a part of your life? How much of it is, is, is the thrust of an advocacy that you have? I've often thought about the, the implications of the conversations of Christians. Christianity, by nature, when we are changed, when we are, we are transformed by our understanding of, of Christ, not, not, not a loose affiliation with Christianity, But when we truly come to salvation in Jesus Christ, it becomes our identity. It it, it becomes our affiliation. It becomes our advocacy. And as a result, I often think, it should dominate our conversation. People should hear us talking about Jesus 
Because our understanding of Christ should color everything in our lives. Every area of our lives should, should be affected by, by who we are now in Christ. It's not that we don't talk about other things. As I said, a lot of you know I'm Italian. A lot of you know how I believe in the espresso from Italy. A lot of you know I'm a Packer fan. My son's middle name is Vincent Lombardi. I'm a Packer fan. And you'll hear me talking about it. But if that is what I'm most identified with, or primarily identified with, there's something, there's something odd about my understanding of Christianity. Christianity for a Christian colors everything. And beyond that, I think it ultimately defines everything we view. Our, our singlehood, our marriage, our, our family, our finances, how we see entertainment and education, our careers. When Jesus Christ comes in and transforms our lives, it changes entirely our view of everything around us. And I've often thought, how is it possible that we as Christians can ever be in relationship with people, be in conversations with people, and not have our Christian worldview come up in the midst of it? I want you to think for a moment, how readily are you identified with your Christian identity? When I look at this morning's text, I see how singularly focused the apostles were as a result of their experience. We've been talking about this as we walked into the book of Acts, about this deep experience that the disciples were having as it relates to their interaction with Jesus Christ and, and, and subsequently their interaction with the Holy Spirit, right? This whole, this whole conversation begins in Acts chapter 1 where, where Jesus Christ, prior to his ascension, is, is teaching his disciples once again about who he is and what they've been called to do. He tells them, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there. And as you wait there, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. In Acts chapter 2, we see the depths of that experience. We see the depths of that interaction. They're in that place all in one accord and, and the Spirit of God comes in and it sweeps through there and it shakes the place and, and it comes through like a rushing wind and, and tongues of fire alight on them and they begin to speak in other tongues and they pour out into the streets and from that moment on, their life changes. They become deeply changed in a way in which they are identified with, they are advocates for. All they can do is speak about and talk about who Jesus Christ is. This is what we see in this morning's text. What was it that our text said annoyed the Sadducees? They were teaching and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection for the dead. They, they were... They were they were unabashedly, un, un, uncontrollably speaking that Jesus Christ is life. You see that idea reiterated later on in the chapter. Sorry, in verse 18 where he says, They called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than the God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Think about that. 
We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're, they're, they're saying we can't help ourselves. We, we, we are, they are so identified by their experience. It became their culture. It became their identity. It became their advocacy. I can't, I can't help but tell you who Jesus Christ is. I can't help but tell you what Jesus Christ did. I can't help but tell you about Him and salvation through Him. Their experience so changed them that they were, oh, they could not not tell people. Let me ask you again. How do people identify you? What are you most known for? The disciples in this passage show how and why those who have a real encounter with Jesus can't help but become advocates for Jesus. You see, Christians who advocate Jesus believe in Jesus. This is the first idea that we have as, they, they, as the disciples in this passage are revealing to us the life we should live. Christians who advocate Jesus do it because they believe in Jesus. This is the why of Peter's actions here. He advocates for Jesus because he believes in Jesus. I can say this, I can draw this from the text, and it's not subtle in any way. It is, it, it, it is profoundly laid out in this passage. I want you to hear the stark declaration of Peter in response to the challenge from the leaders of the temple. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and, I, and, and don't miss that point. Don't, don't read over that point. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit... It is the empowering of the Holy Spirit that gives us clarity. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that gives us boldness. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom. It's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that gives us the words to say that reveal Jesus. This is one of those things that it was interesting that Jesus said to the disciples. He said, when you go before the magistrates, don't worry about what you will say, for the Spirit of God will give you the words. This, this is the fulfillment of Jesus' message to the disciples. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which have become, has become the cornerstone. And hear this. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His declaration was healing came by Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just the declaration that it was healing that came by Jesus Christ. The declaration is there is no one else. There is no salvation in anyone else. There is no other name by which you can be saved. 
Peter's conviction, he is convinced that Jesus is the answer. He believes deeply that Jesus is the answer. He is committed to advocating Christ because he believes in Christ and Christ alone. When we are convinced that Jesus Christ is the answer, when we believe that Jesus Christ is the hope, He is the only thing we can advocate. It's interesting because Peter in this, when when he looked at the nation of Israel, and and he saw how they were pursuing salvation, how they were looking for a hope, that for generation upon generation upon generation, he understood that the motivating factor of the nation of Israel was to receive the Messiah, was to be set free, was to find deep salvation. He looked out at that congregation, he looked out at that nation, and he said, guys, the only answer I have is Jesus. He is what you're looking for. He is what you're seeking. Listen, if you're looking at the people around you, people who are struggling to find peace, people who are gripped by fear, people who have been hurt, people who are in pain, people who are addicted and depressed, when you are convinced that Jesus is their only hope, you can't help but tell them about Jesus. Do you believe that He is the hope for your neighbors? Do you believe that He is the hope for your family? Do you believe that He is the hope for this nation? When you are convinced that Jesus is the only hope, you can't help but tell the people who need them about Jesus. There is salvation in no one else but Jesus. We do not serve the hurting in our lives well by embracing Jesus as a way to salvation. We do not serve the hurting in our lives well when, 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 we, when, we, when we look at Jesus as a way to peace, as a way to freedom. It is not a hard sell for those of us who have experienced Jesus in our lives in a life-changing way to say, Jesus is the way to salvation. Do you know why my wife tries to get us to use essential oils? Anytime somebody has a toothache or a pain or is have trouble sleeping, do you know why my wife is an advocate for essential oils? Because when she had a headache, it worked. When she couldn't sleep, it worked. When she was sore, it worked. It is believing that the answer is in that, that you advocate it. I look at my life And I see how Jesus changes me, how he heals me, how he heals my heart, how he has given me peace, how he has been, has, has, has been my provision, 
How He has answered my every need. I look around at my life and I see my family. And I see the healing that Jesus Christ brought. The wholeness that Jesus Christ brought. I look at the people in my lives that I've ministered to. And I have seen Jesus Christ heal families and restore marriages and bring wholeness to people. I can't help but say, Jesus is not a way, He is the way. We become advocates for Jesus because we believe in Jesus. Listen, I don't know what to tell you about Muhammad. I don't know what to tell you about Buddha. I don't know what to tell you about Nietzsche or Marx or Joseph Smith. But I can tell you this about Jesus Christ. He saves. He sets you free. He brings you peace. He teaches you what what true hope and life is. And I will tell you that because of what he has done in my life and the lives of many people around me, he is the way of salvation. You become an advocate for Jesus because you believe in Jesus. We do no one any good when we choose not to advocate for Jesus. When we do that, we betray the experience of a transformative salvation. Your speech should be sprinkled with the hope in Jesus Christ because you believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of mankind. I love the picture that Peter gives us in this story because he knows that Jesus is the hope for mankind. And when they confront him, he says, I can't help but tell people about Jesus. I look, at the, I look at the man who is crippled and I know he heals. I look at the person who is hurting and I know he restores. I look at the person who is lost and I know he gives them a home. Do you believe in this Jesus? Do you believe in this Jesus? Second, Christians who advocate Jesus are not deterred by persecution. When you look at this passage, it becomes clear that Peter is not concerned with the persecution that comes his way if he advocates for Christ. In fact, it seems like he almost expects it. There's no fear in him. There's no doubt in him. He so believes in Jesus as the answer. He so believes in Jesus as the hope. He so believes in Jesus as the means of salvation that he steps into a situation in which he may receive persecution and he doesn't back down. He knows and believes that Jesus Christ is the answer. The recording of his persecution in Acts is pretty nonchalant. I mean, he's being arrested and he's being imprisoned. How many of you think that that would be a pretty memorable experience? About two years ago, I was pulled over in Waukesha County for a taillight being out. And they discovered that I had a ticket that I apparently hadn't paid for an illegal left turn. And the overzealous sheriff thought, for that, I must be handcuffed, put in the back of a squad car, and taken to jail. This was a memorable experience for me. (laughs) And this is how it's recorded here in Acts. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. And even after that experience of jail, Peter didn't care. They, they, They threatened him and they told him to not speak of Jesus anymore 
And they, they continued to threaten him and saying more things, worse things will happen to you than being thrown in jail. You know what he did? He went on and preached Jesus. Honestly, I'm sure that he expected to be persecuted because Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, remember the word that I said to you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So Peter walks into this saying, yeah, Jesus told me you were going to do this to me. Cool. It's fine. Whatever. I, I got to preach because I believe that Jesus is the hope. I believe that Jesus is the answer. And you got to do whatever you got to do. But I got to do what God tells me to do. The mark of speaking and living true Christianity is not a lack of persecution or opposition. In fact, I would argue that speaking the truth of Jesus Christ re- means that you invite persecution and you invite opposition. It is not the general acceptance of those in the world that gives the stamp of approval on the message that we speak. One of the weirdest things I hear Christians say, and I mean it is a consistent, I can't tell you how often I get, a, I, I get sent a stupid blog about somebody who wrote something that says, you see guys, the reason people are rejecting your message is because you're not being fill in the blank enough. The reason why that people aren't receiving the message of the church or receiving what you're saying is because you're being too blank. It's one of the dumbest, it's one of the dumbest measures of the purity of your message I've ever heard. It's almost as if you've never read the Bible when you say something like that. It is really clear in Scripture that the clarity of Jesus Christ invites individuals to reject it and to oppose you. If there's anything that the Word of God from the life and gospel of Jesus Christ through all of the epistles teaches us, it's that when you speak up about Jesus Christ as being the hope of the world, the means of salvation, people don't like that. The Bible teaches us that the message of Christ will be violently rejected by many. Jesus promised us that we would be hated as he was hated. Dr. James Stewart, professor of theology at Edinburgh University, said this, It is a terrible thing when the church is content to cultivate inoffensiveness. And I think he's right. Now, now I'm not saying be offensive jerks. I'm not saying be the Westboro Baptist types calling people names and picketing funerals. If you do that stuff, you should be disliked. I'll get in line and dislike you at the front of the line. But if you are sharing unadulterated Jesus and people reject you, persecute you even, that keeps you right in line with the world's response to Jesus with the world's response to Stephen, with the world's response to John and Peter and Paul and many, 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 many others in the 2,000-year history of our church. I think Pastor Jack Arnold states it well when he says, as Christians, we should never be surprised that when we preach the gospel, it encounters persecution. For the Apostle Paul wrote, and indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
2 Timothy 3.12. And yet Paul also wrote, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. In 2 Corinthians 2.14. If Christians are to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel in our day, they can always expect to be offensive to a great segment of society. When Christians are faithful, they will experience some physical persecution. Some may offer up the extreme sacrifice and give their lives for Christ, but even in death, there shall be triumph. The gospel is offensive to the natural mind and will cause opposition in some. And the opposition that Peter faced that day, I think, is similar to the opposition we encounter regularly in our culture. You see, just like the Sadducees, there are those in our culture that embrace morality but reject Christ's divinity. They embrace the morality of Jesus Christ, much like the Sadducees embrace the morality of Judaism, but they reject the divinity of Jesus Christ. They reject the belief there is salvation in no one else, that there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. The morality of Christ without the divinity of Christ is just religious moralism. And this is what the Sadducees were advocating. It is the position of Peter that Jesus saves. That Jesus Christ was the Son of God who gave His life by, by, and through that means we might be saved. If we empty the message of Christianity of that message, all we've become is moralists. We've said we live by the morals of Jesus, the good teacher. And we're no different than the Sadducees who rejected Jesus and His divinity. When you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, hope in Jesus Christ, you will face some persecution. But hold fast to what you believe in and take heart because you're in good company. That flows out of the first thing we said, right? I believe in Jesus. How can I walk away from that? How can I reject that? How can I say it's not true? I believe in Jesus. I believe in Him as salvation. I believe in Him as hope. I believe in Him as healing. And so regardless of what you say to me, regardless of what you do to me, I can't not tell you. So persecution may come, but the message will not change. The first point was a why. Christians who advocate believe in Him. The second point was a how. Christians who advocate are not deterred by persecution. And for the final point, we see both how and why. Christians who advocate Jesus have been with Jesus. The most inescapable, most arresting statement in this entire text, in my mind, is the last statement in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of John, uh, Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had 
been with Jesus. When we have been with Jesus in a life-changing way, the advocacy for Christ flows from our lips and is evident in our lives. When When we have been with Jesus Christ and we have been transformed by Him, we have been changed by Him, it is evident to people around us. It is, a, it is such a, 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 an incredible understanding that to be with Jesus is to be redefined by the Spirit of God. That to be with Jesus, we are changed, we are transformed, we are different. That's a really true statement in light of the text, right? To be with Jesus is to be redefined by the Spirit of God. There may be no greater example of this than the statement that we see in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What the statement is saying is that these men were redefined because of their experience with God. These are guys who don't know anything according to the world. These are guys that, that, that whose status, according to those who saw them, was they're fishermen. They haven't been taught anything. They have no knowledge. They don't get any of this stuff. How could they possibly speak to us about anything? This was how they were defined by the culture and the society around them. But because of being with Jesus, because of the move of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they were redefined. They were seen differently. They were understood to be different because of what Jesus did in them. This is what it's like to be with Jesus and touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has the ability to redefine you, to change you to transform you, to make you something that you aren't today, to make you special and different. Not because of you, but because of Him. Some here think little of yourselves. You look all the time at your lacking. You look at your failings and your weaknesses, and you are defining yourself by your status instead of being redefined by being with Jesus. And in that position and in that place, you are not only selling yourself short, but you are selling short the power of the Holy Spirit to redefine you, the power of Jesus Christ to renew you. Have you failed? Probably. If you breathe today, there's a good chance you failed today. There is no one in this room. There's no one in this room. There is no one in this room that can't look in the mirror and say, I failed Jesus. The reason we need Jesus is because we fail. This doesn't disqualify you from being used of God. This doesn't disqualify you from stepping into the ministry. This doesn't disqualify you because the power of Jesus Christ 
The being with Jesus Christ gives you opportunity every day to be redefined. Every day you have the ability to step into the presence of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and become new. So that others may say of you, this person is uneducated. This person, I know this person, they're uneducated. They're so common in their faith. They're so common in their walk. But I can tell they've been with Jesus because who they were before is not who they are right now. This is the power of the Holy Spirit to change and transform you. Listen, you're not just selling yourself short. You're selling short the power of God to change you, to redefine you. When Jesus Christ, in His grace and His mercy, draws you near to Him, and in His great mercy pours His Spirit of God in you, He is working to redefine you. I really believe this stands as a challenge to all of us. The transformational power comes from a consistent being with Jesus. Why could they see they were different? Why could they see they were transformed? Why could they see they were no longer common? Why could they see that they were no longer uneducated? Because they were with Jesus. Most of us do not live lives that consistently and consciously dwell in the presence of Jesus. We don't. If you're sitting here right now and there's a sense of conviction in your spirit as I'm talking about spending time with Jesus, I want you to understand you're not alone. I think almost every one of us in this place where we're confronted with the call to be with Jesus at times looks at ourselves and says, you know, I don't do that very well. But do you know what the antidote for not doing it very well is? To do it. Start doing it. This is is like any other discipline of our lives. This is like any other act of our lives. We look at things and we say, I know I'm better if I fill in the blank. I know I'm better if I eat well. I know I'm better if I sleep well. I know I'm better if I exercise well. I know I'm better if I read more. I know I'm better if I work out more. I know I'm better. Just keep going through, right? We know that to be true. You know you're more effective at work if you put the hours in. You know you're more effective if you study what you need to study. You know all that stuff. The walk with Jesus Christ is transformational when we spend time in the presence of Jesus Christ. And every one of us can look at ourselves and say, I know I can do better at this. And so the answer is do better at this. You should be in church when you can be in church. You should be in his presence with brothers and sisters in Christ, lifting up his name, being encouraged by the word of God. This should not be something that it's like, well, if I have time. It's because you want to be with Jesus. And so I'm going to take time to be with Jesus. You should be taking time in your life to open up the Word of God and say, you know what, I want to read His Word. And not just read His Word the way you read a novel or the way you read a textbook, but I want to study His Word. I'm not the kind of pastor who advocates, let's, you know, everybody should, let's read a chapter in the New Testament, let's read a chapter in the Old Testament, let's read a chapter in Psalms every day. I'm not saying it's bad. But what I want you to do is I want you to open up the Bible and maybe read three verses, but study those three verses. 
Learn those three verses. Understand what the Word of God is saying in those three verses. Take 15, 20 minutes to look at those three verses and bring it into your spirit and into your soul because you are transformed by His Word when you do that. Spend time in prayer. Be here for pre-service prayer. Be here when the doors are open for prayer. Be in your prayer closet. Be in your prayer closet. I had a buddy of mine in college, my first year of Bible college. He literally, he, he, none of his clothes were in his closet because it was his prayer closet. Kept them all in the drawers. And I can remember times I'd like knock on his door and I'd walk in his door in his room. I'd be like, hey, Steve. And he, I was always oh, not there. And I closed the door and he'd come popping out of his closet and come chase me down. Oh, I was just in there praying. Dude, get a prayer closet if you need to. But make sure that you are with Jesus because it is in the being with Jesus that we are redefined by Jesus. This is a challenge for every single one of us to have the transformative experiences of the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be like Him. I started this message by asking you, how do people see you? But I think the even more important question that will shape that answer is how do you see Jesus? If you truly embrace him as the hope of salvation as Peter did, the means of healing as Peter did, the place of refuge as Peter did, the life you live and the way that you are perceived will be altered profoundly people will begin to see you first and foremost as a follower of Jesus Christ because you believe he is your great hope. You advocate he as the great hope regardless of opposition. And you draw near to him because you know in drawing near to him you are changed and you are taught more deeply about who Jesus Christ is. My goal and your goal should be that people are able to say about us when they saw their boldness and perceived that they were uneducated, common men and women, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want, I want us to spend some time with Jesus this morning. I'm going to, be, I'm going to invite John up to Lead us in a song before we go. And I want to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. I want to ask us to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, to to challenge us, to reveal to us the image of Christ that needs embracing. It's incredible how we can become advocates for so many other things. How we can become fixated on so many other things. But we as followers of Jesus Christ need to be with him so we may be changed by him. And then we will be his advocate. And people will see that we are followers of Jesus Christ.